Alright, so if you've seen on my uh, Twitter account, I had recently revealed that I got an early birthday present as my birthday at the time of this video's production will be, be tomorrow, so I'm going to celebrate that. But um, anyways, there's going to be this, I bought this massive omnibus, well my mom got me for it, omnibus of Infinite Crisis, the second in the Crisis trilogy in DC Comics. So... I decided there were several ways I wanted to go about this when reading it. I wanted to make videos about it, but I knew talking about the entire omnibus in one video would be an insane, stupid idea because I am not that insane. And even then, there are not really that many comic users who, on YouTube, who've really done that kind of ambitious project. And they usually divide into separate episodes and then they merge it together or they go ahead and like have a podcast discussing about it, quickly going overviews of it. But nonetheless, um, I decided that originally there were ideas I was going to do. I was going to do a huge chunk of Infinite Crisis, then compile some notes and write that down. But then I thought, nah, I might get lost and might forget some things. So I decided to do it by individual issues. Like, you know, there's the first one, Countdown to Infinite Crisis, the video that I'm going to be talking about. This is by written by Jeff Johns, with the cover being made by everyone's favorite artist, Alex Ross. And we all know how that, and we all know how he's known for, especially for his Crisis on Infinite Earth, Earth's wallpaper he made. But I digress on that. This is a story that focuses mostly on Ted Court, the second Blue Beetle, who I learned about in my in Linkara's various retrospectives about him. Yeah, this is where I'm getting my information from comics, either from Comic Explain, Comic Storian, or Linkara when he makes those retrospective videos. Because there are certain characters I do not know, like Maxwell Lord, who's in this up, who's in this segment. But uh, yeah, this story mostly is on Blue Beetle's perspective, and basically how no one's really taking him seriously, and how he's saying like, "Sue, dude, dude, there's all this stuff, there's like all these things, and whatnot." And then, as Blue Beetle initially opens up, breaking into a building office and begins working on a computer, he finds this computer that has files containing information about guys like Batman, Superman. Um, yeah, they keep going back and forth. It's like Christopher Nolan-esque style of storytelling where they show the, the show the present and then the past and the present again. And yeah, he learns about who Batman's identity is, Bruce Wayne, and then he calls Oracle. Then we go back to four days ago where Oracle tells Blue Beetle that the previous day someone siphoned $20 million of his money to several dummy corporations, nearly bankrupting him. Congrats. And one of the names of the receipts, recipients is Omac. And Oracle also informs him someone is using his ATM card. And... <laughs> yeah, Beetle goes to where his car is being used and finds Booster Gold. Beetle tells Gold about what the, what's going on, and they go to Maxwell Lord. He says he'll look into things, and then he tells, and then Beetle tells Gold they need to go see Bruce Wayne, and Gold leaves to shoot a commercial. Beetle goes to see Batman, and Batman is pissed off still, saying he'll look into it, and Beetle leaves. During this, we see that Batman has secretly been working on a project. 
Brother Eye. That's going to play a role in causing so many issues for the DC Universe up until Infinite Crisis, and even during it. It's just that if you also take into account the New 52's version of Brother Eye and, and Linkar's review of DC Comics' futures and storyline, which I will not get into because I will not read that. So anyways, uh, Batman... After what happened at Danny Crisis with the reveal of Zatanna white mind wiping his tent last ten minutes, what they did to uh, bro to um, Doctor Light and a variety of other events that happened, he has found out what happened. He's pissed and paranoid. He even admits to Alfred that yeah, I'm paranoid. I'm paranoid, and I'm Batman. So, anyways, um. <laughs> Then we go back to the present, and Beatles looking through the file and finds Superman's secret identity is Clark Kent. Then we fast flashback to three days ago, where Beatle calls a group of superheroes to one of his warehouses, since he owns a company, that has been burglarized. Among the items taken is 100 pounds of kryptonite. That's gonna end well. The other heroes leave eventually, and an hour later, still at the warehouse, Beatle is attacked by six laughing villains known as the Mad Men. Basically, they're a bunch of Joker-esque wannabes in my mind. Like I said, I'm not well versed in DC Comics and whatnot. I'm also using this for research in some massive project I'm doing to take out the good bits of of the DC universe into my stories that I'm using for a fan fiction project. But that's a different matter altogether. So then, <laughs> then we get flash forward back. Beetle continues looking through the files, finds Captain Marvel's secret identity. And then we flash back to two days ago, where Beetle and Gold are doing some computer hacking to try and find the source of Beetle's money problems. And Gold spells Beetle on the computer, and the bomb explodes, and a bomb goes off. Gold is wounded and is taken to the hospital. Beetle's scarab begins pulsating, and he follows the pulse to a door that leads into the Hall of the Wizard Shazam. Beetle has a cryptic meaning with Shazam in which he learns nothing before being teleported away. And Beetle goes to get into his Beetle-shaped sh ship and it explodes and, it's and his wounds are tended to at the JLA Watchtower where Wonder Woman is practically the only one who believes him because she's the one who's actually making the most sense and actually is compassionate and doesn't dismiss him like he's an afterthought. She asks him to keep her posted or anything and leads for an embassy meeting. Beetle then tells John, aka the Martian Manhunter, who may or may not have a niece that is secretly a horrendous person that I really don't want to talk about unless I talk about the Young Justice series, and I will not get into that when I talk about it, and I am certainly not going to do a huge character bashing storyline in my story that I'm working on, because that would be insane. Anyways, um, John receives a distress call from Adam Strange that the planet Ran is under attack by the Thanagarans. So, yeah, that ties into the Ran-Thanagar war that's breaking out when John leaves to help Strange since he was initially going to send Hawkeye. Uh, no, not Hawkeye, Hawkman. Yeah, sorry I tied in Marvel there. I'm pretty sure I pissed off some people who are diehard extremists. I don't care. Um, so, after that, um... Beetle then, Ted Cord goes back home and then realizes that something's off with his goggles. 
he finds a transmitter, and then afterwards he goes to see Booster Gold, and and Booster Gold tries to get out to help and faints because you know he's injured. After seeing Gold being put back to bed, Beetle tells the nurse to basically say that to tell him this: whatever happens, you tell him it's not his fault. You tell him it's not his fault. That's that I said so, and you tell him that I never had a better friend than him, implying that yeah, he's royally screwed. Don't you get it? He's gonna die! Yeah. So, Ted Corp backtracks the signal to the from the transmitter he found in his goggles to a fortified complex in Swiss Alps. And then we get the whole scene from the beginning, basically, where he finds the computer file that contains the identities of various heroes around the world. And, Beetle, and Ted Cord opens a file that is on the computer and sees that he is marked as deceased. The office lights turn on and Beetle whirls around to find himself facing the mastermind of all these evil acts. Maxwell Lord! Dun dun dun! Now let me explain who Maxwell Lord is, if nothing more than for myself. Because here's the thing. I did not know who the hell this character was. As I've said... I'm only versed in the comic stuff from the TV shows, cartoons, and movies. I never, I didn't read the comics that much even when I was watching Spider-Man the original trilogy. And I don't want to talk about that, but that's a different matter. But, um, yeah, he kind of had a role in forming the, um, in forming the, uh, <clears throat> Justice League International group, following that was leaderless and broken after the events of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and, okay, he seemed... It seemed like he was going to try... I think he was trying to struggle between right and wrong. Like, I didn't learn about this character until I saw Lean Carr's retrospective about Ted Core. So, really, my from what I've gathered, it seems like he was, um... Trying to trying to stop this this ruth like he was in conflict with himself between good and evil like he was developing heroic qualities and also but still remaining this con man art con artist and struggling with his conscience and whatnot like he was trying to fight between his good and evil selves in his eyes. And then after what happened in Identity Crisis and after the events of uh. Hal Jordan going nuts and the death of uh, Superman and uh, Mongols invasion, the destruction of Coast City. He begins to become paranoid and hateful towards metahumans, leading him to believe that not only metahumans not are can be trusted, but their personal battles and scuffles are enough to shatter world safety. In Identity Crisis, Lord attends to Sue Disney's funeral. I will go into that when I when I finish that comic because I'm reading that, and speaks to Booster Gold, further dending his already dwindling faith in superheroes. So basically, if you take into account that instead of being the struggling guy who has legit who's struggling between right and wrong, George, Jeff Johns retconned him into being this evil person, and apparently, okay, basically he does what everyone expects. He goes ahead and explains why he is doing this, because that's always the case. 
When Maxwell Lord and Three Guard Six come in, he Lord tells Blue Beetle that he is the king of the new Checkmate organization, whose purpose is to stop metahumans around the world. And considering all the recent disasters that in the Marvel Universe timeline, yeah, you can kind of see where he's coming from, how he feels like, yeah, these guys are kind of becoming more of a liability, like Identity Crisis, and then there's the death of Superman and Doomsday's attack, then there's Coast City's destruction and Hal Jordan going nuts and insane with power. And, yeah, it should be more like, but, okay, let's say they did do that instead of the whole he's always been sabotaging the Justice League International group that he had formed at the beginning. That's what he was saying in the comics when I was reading this. And I was like, um, you know, it could make more sense that he just got disillusioned without this massive retcon of the whole story. And I'll get to Jeff Johns' style, and then also by extension Grant Morrison's, when I can. So, um, anyways, um, afterwards, the computer files on the screen disappear, and Lord rushes to com to the computer to see what Blue Beetle has what the Blue Beetle has done to them, and he uses his opportunity to try and escape, realizing he needs to warn the League of what's going to happen. An OMAC unit disarms Beetle, and once he is immobilized. Maxwell Lord basically does this. Join me, and together we can rule, rid the world of metahumans. Ted Kort's response is, Rot in hell, Lord. Okay, um... Yeah, that, that was kind of hilarious. If you think about it, he just said, Rot in hell, Maxwell Lord. And if you take out Maxwell, it basically means he just told God to go to that place. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that might piss off religious groups if they thought about it more. And Maxwell Lord responds by killing him by shooting him in the head. So that's the end of Ted Kord in the beginning and would lead the foundations to Jaime Reyes becoming the new Blue Beetle in Infinite Crisis. But as I was saying, the countdown to Infinite Crisis story, which was an 80-page comic, I actually thought it was good. Now... This leads into the major thing that I noticed when I was rereading certain aspects and looking at Lean Carr's videos and looking at Comics Explains videos about Jeff Johns' work. Okay, Jeff Johns seems to be that guy that if this storyline worked, he'll probably retcon it to fit the story he wants to tell. Whereas Grant Morrison, and this is the one thing I kind of respect about Grant Morrison, is the fact that he basically based it in his way of writing he basically goes on the operating theory of this from what I've gathered because I'm currently doing multiversity and I'll get to that when I finish it he's basically under this mentality okay look I'm writing a storyline in a universe that has a scroll for a Green Lantern cooperative uh, let's see a guy from from a planet that was destroyed through unknown means uh, let's see crypt uh, rocks that can hurt, that can that can in, that can weaken Superman. Uh, a guy who dresses as a bat. A guy who can time travel from the pa from to the past in order to be a spokesperson, celebrity sponsor guy. Uh, a guy who dresses up like a beetle and to an extension Spider Man. A guy who goes ahead and floats through can go through walls and whatnot. 
And I'm also writing a, a comic set in a universe where there's a clone of Superman who is also a clone of Lex, who is also cloned from Lex Luthor's DNA, making the ultimate fan, making the ultimate slash fan fiction child of Lex Luthor and Superman. Just embrace the madness. Yeah, that's basically how I've seen Grant Morrison style. Like, yeah, he knows what he's working on is absurd, insane, and just scales. Embrace it. There's nothing really to do. Just embrace the insanity that we're doing this. Like, that's basically how he operates. It's basically give in to this madness. We're really doing this. We're really that insane. So, yeah, that's the one thing I do like about Grant Morrison, that he even acknowledges that all this is insane, so just embrace the craziness of everything. That's the one thing I do like. So... Yeah, whereas Jeff Johns, he likes to retcon things, and while he does want to serve the larger story, like correcting the Hal Jordan evil route he went with, that was went with by DC because Hal Jordan was not really being appealing to fans in their eyes, which pissed a lot of people off. At least that was explained and done correctly. But a lot of people also kind of do get annoyed with retconning certain events to try and explain certain things in the past in order to change things and alter them, like Identity Crisis or Fortunate Son with Batman's hatred of rock and roll. Yeah, that that's a still a real that's a real thing, and not something from the old age when everything was all lunacy and whatnot. So. My thoughts on Countdown to the Infinite Crisis. I like this story. Really gives a send-off to Ted Kord. Like, yeah, it would have been epic if he went out with a huge explosive bang instead of being shot in the head like he was a nobody and it zooms in on his corpse. Yeah, it probably would have been better if he went out fighting, but at least he was defiant to the end against oppressive evil, a guy who just wanted to do right in the world and looked up to a guy who helped him along and only to realize this guy's kind of a son of a bitch. So, yeah. This kickstarts the Infinite Crisis Omnibus. And there's going to be a lot more videos about this as I, as I read through it. So, those were my thoughts on um, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. This was Neo Reality Entertainment. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and donate. Stay tuned for more. We continue our journey through the Infinite Crisis Omnibus. As such, I'm covering the first, the first three issues of the OMAC project, which continues directly from DC's Countdown, which was also it was called, but it's also called Countdown from is called Countdown to Infinite Crisis. And in fact, it's so quick, it's so quickly after that it, the body's not even cold. Ted Kors's body is still bleeding after being shot in the head. And then we focus the narrative with Shasha, who I had to look this up a little bit from some various sites before beginning this recording, that she was the love interest for Batman a few years back when OMAX scripter Greg Rucka, the guy who's writing this, um, uh, was writing those characters when Bruce Wayne was arrested for murder in 2002's Bruce Wayne murderer storyline. Sasha was arrested as well, but Wayne abandoned her when he subsequently broke out of prison, making way for a fugitive storyline, leaving her to rot while he continued his career as Batman, without an alter ego. She knew Batman's identity, he had bore her suffering and refused to divulge Wayne's secret, and 
Yeah, considering how that goes, considering how we know how that's going to end, it's clearly obvious that Catwoman Selina Kyle is the best love interest for Batman. Even when DC doesn't want to do that because that would give way to interesting angles they could have went with, so they need to keep him miserable as possible because, you know, Bruce Wayne being happy is impossible. You know that, right? Anyways. Uh... We continue off where it's involving her issues with now the organization Checkmate, which is a which I looked up. It's a U.S. government agency introduced in the 1998 first in appearance of 1988's Action Comics issue number 598, and then its own ongoing series, which ended really quickly. The organization was based on a hierarchy of chess. Kings and queens control the knights and pawns, and so on. The agency has been seen in intermittently sense and it's not especially fondly considered remembered so anyways um <clears throat> so as the story continues maxwell lord the new villain now finds out that batman has apparently deleted his files including the shockingly complete files on dc's heroes and their old eagle egos then we see the extended brother eye spine capability it can even see into the bat cave and the whole world and has become a a very powerful force like yeah this omac technology the, this brother eye project yeah it, it can virtually see everything it's basically every it's everyone's wet dream in the government to spy on everybody without actually seeing you yeah i'm pretty sure that's the, that's in reality so yeah we start to see that sasha is like Oh God! What have I done? At, like, eventually on one of the headquarters at Checkmate Mountain's headquarters, uh, Sasha talks with Jessica Midnight, a night-level female operative in the organization, and yeah, they're having uh, issues with each other about the whole Maxwell lore taking over, and the two actually have a fight, and one threat. Yeah, they look kind of similar, so I'll get confused probably. But there is a threat that if one of them commits treason, she'll throw she'll throw the other off the roof. I mean, off the building. And then we focus off of Booster Gold coming out of the hospital after we saw him in uh, in Countdown to Infinite Crisis, emerging on the streets and whatnot. And yeah, they they ask um, a fan ask basically asks him. Um, if he ever had it with Black Canary, Wonder Woman, or Zatanna while a member of the Justice League. Yeah. So. Yeah, and the fan, of course, insults him as basically saying, You're a loser. Yeah, how dare you not have sex with pre of the three females of the Justice League? That's very inconsiderate. So. Yeah, one who endorses products as referenced in the DC Infinite Crisis countdown and as seen in his own 1980 series and yada yada yada. Wonder Woman arrives, taking Booster to flight, reveals that she believed Blue Beetle even if the Justice League didn't. She promises to help Booster Gold to search for Blue Beetle, neither knowing that he's already dead. And I actually did like this scene. Like, yeah, Wonder Woman is pretty much the only one that's compassionate, and yet everyone else is a complete idiot besides Booster Gold. Um, afterwards, uh, after secretly gaining the information and whatnot, um, yeah, Sasha actually betrays them, the Checkmate organization, 
and Batman receives a package, which he almost ignores until Alfred told him, because he's in his paranoid loner state. Uh, It contains the Beatles' shattered goggles, which Batman correctly interprets as Ted Kord is dead, and no implying that Brother Eye is no longer under his control. Yeah. So, they still don't know who it is, and now we get to issue two. Um, we go with the flashback from Identity Crisis, where the members of the League purge Batman's memories as a means of covering up their magical lobotomization of Dr. Light. And, yeah. I don't know how he got back his memories. Um, I, th- I thought, um, yeah, when I was going to... I was thinking, like, when they did a scene where they showed a similar outcase, it would trigger that memory. But, um, no, that wasn't really the case. I don't know exactly what it was. So, I don't, I'll figure that out later. Um, and it might be in the omnibus as well. So, we'll figure that out. I'll figure that out later. Um, anyways. Batman is still in his brooding, I don't trust anyone and what and whatnot, is, yeah. Um, it's not looking good. They're all kind of pissed off at him when he reveals about Brother Eye. <laughs> yeah, and Brewster Gold is pissed off and, how, and explains that Batman ca- kind of caused all this when he kind of basically told Blue Beetle to go fuck himself. Bruiser goes as far as to fire Batman, but Superman blocks the blast. And they all decide to hunt down who stole Brother Eye. Yet they still don't know. But all this, um, the spy capabilities of Brother Eye is shown to even be watching. Um, being watched by Maxwell Lord. Well, at least that explain. At least that gives a better explanation than what happened in the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, where Shredder had a camera for some reason everywhere he went. Yeah, I still can't think the reason for that. And here's the thing I didn't mention in the first video: um, Maxwell Lord. That sounds more subtle as a na- of a villain name than Victor Von Doom. Seriously, Maxwell Lord at least was built up as a guy who was conflicted with himself. As far as I know, from what I've gathered, but um, he did have best interest at heart, and then d- over time, distrust happened, and then they retconned all that interesting angle they could have went with, where he had faith in superheroes, but then realized things were not really working well with them. So yeah. Um. So, anyways, Mac knows someone inside the organization is responsible for this. So, worried about being discovered, Sasha is called in to be to, to be the person to re, to to cover it all up. And yeah, so brother, the OMAC creatures are known as the One Man Army Corps, a long-standing, but it's been rarely used in DC Comics. Um. Okay, basically they're these blue creatures that can actually form from people, I believe. Um, yeah, and then Brother I, Brother I eventually alerts during this whole plan they have that alerts that 
Maxwell Ward, yeah, you're kind of in danger of being assassinated. Taking Sasha with him, he attends a meeting with Checkmate leaders, where the previously seen Jessica, sparred with uh, Sasha back in issue number one, tries to suit Max. Before he can, Max tells her to freeze, then he has her kill the others instead. Because Maxwell Lord has basically Charles Xavier powers. Yeah, that's basically what it is. In fact, in fact, let me think. He has a mixture of Charles Xavier's powers and the future Stranger Things 11 with the nose bleeding effect. So, yeah, he, he does get nosebleeds when he uses it. Yeah, so that was interesting. Yeah, it was revealed that he got superpowers from this. I think it was from a story I was looking up called Legends. <sighs> Reminds me of Star Wars' canon. Anyways, Max orders Sasha to dispose of the bodies, just like they did with, um, with Blue Beetle in the first issue and incinerated it. Sasha then has to take uh, Jessica Midnight into custody so that they can blame the killings on her. And then Sasha has to go to Chicago to clean up any evidence of, this, of the leads that brought Blue Beetle to checkmate. As Max leaves the room, we see Jessica weeping, hands covering her face, a broken woman. Yep. And Batman, once again, as he arrives to go ahead to meet the person who will go ahead and basically tell him everything he needs to know... Batman keeps brooding about what happened to the League and what they did to him. And I was like, okay, one, I know you're pissed off, I get it, but why are you brooding about everyone else who did it? Who, was, who wasn't even involved? Barry Allen's dead. Green Arrow's not even in this comic, as far as I know, from these first three issues. It's besides the flashback. You clearly trust uh, Tim Drake and Nightwing and Alfred, so... What's the problem? Like, could you really picture Superman doing such a thing? Do you honestly think Superman willingly in conscience doing such a thing? In fact, he doesn't even have that kind of power. Maybe in the Silver Age he would, but no, not now. And Wonder Woman's just too nice to do that in the old canon, in the old continuity before the big reboot happened with uh, Flashpoint. But I digress. <laughs> Brother Eye, being the intelligent machine that it is, notifies Max that it was Sasa who sent Beetle's goggles to Batman, so he orders the Omax to retrieve Sasa and kill Batman. Suddenly, three Omax soldiers break into the warehouse, interrupting Sasha and Batman. So that's the end of um, issue two. Let's get into issue three. Yeah, the Omax are kind of fighting them and. Apparently, Batman never knew what the hell these things were. And Sasha then asked Batman if he created them. And she, she assumed um, he didn't since he created Brother Eye. And Batman says no. Thereby saying, okay, he doesn't have access to Omec technology. He did create Brother Eye. Yeah, so they're being controlled by the same technology of whatever it is. And then Maxwell orders uh, the Omax to begin being to prioritize capturing Sasa before uh, before she reveals who it was because she tells him that Checkmate was responsible for Blue Beetle's death. And right before she could reveal who exactly is the king of this group, uh, yeah, Maxwell Lord is able to capture her with the Omax and orders Batman's death. And of course, uh, he apparently tries to kill it. Except realizes that it's not a machine. 
It bleeds. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Yeah. And almost kills Batman and Superman saves the day. Yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, these are not looking good. And... Yeah, and luckily they didn't go ahead and have Batman try to say, This was all part of my plan. I would have gotten out. Because even though he's still in his brooding phase right now with the whole distrust issues, he is not going to be a jackass and say, I had it handled. Because I'm Batman. And... Yeah. Apparently, Superman had fought in the Amazon forest in Ecuador and later in Metropolis regarding the Omax and Superman's own comics. Batman reveals that there were three attackers. Indeed, this is the first time more than one Omax has been used seen at once. Obviously, meaning that any number of them could be out there. And as I've seen from the Infinite Crisis reviews and clearly how it's going to be part of the plot, yeah, there's going to be over, over thousands of them. So, yeah, that's not going to end well. So Batman, in his brooding face, refuses to do medical treatment because that would make make perfect sense. Elsewhere, Wonder Woman and Booster Girl search in vain for Batman's brother Ice Satellite, and yeah, the Booster begins making accusations that Batman may have lied to them about the satellite. But then that doesn't work because even Wonder Woman was like, "Okay, Batman may be paranoid, but he doesn't lie like that." Again, most of the time. But then, Guy Gardner arrives, having heard the news about Blue Beetle being killed. Guy, who served with Booster Gold during the old Justice League International days, questions what Booster's doing with Wonder Woman instead of assembling the old group. Um. Yeah. Guy then tells Wonder Woman, you know, one of the most powerful women in the entire one of the most powerful characters in the DC universe, to shut up and comments on her body and giving off sexual advances to an extent. Yeah, this would never have made it printing in political correctness timeline. So... Yeah. So, Guy and Diana briefly fight, and I would be like, okay, I'm kind of with Wonder Woman. I know Guy Gardner can be arrogant, but could you please shut up? You're going to get yourself killed. Be careful. She might actually snap your neck if it comes to it. But Booster stops them, siding with Guy, because Booster has to be an idiot for this moment. Saying that this is a job for the insiders. It doesn't hurt that, um... Yeah, granted, yes, we know that because how the Justice League refused, and yeah, I'm just going to say Wonder Woman believed him, but she had also responsibilities. I mean, like, really, you could just, you should have actually done this scene when Gotham and punched Batman in the face. Because Batman was brooding constantly and didn't do a thing. So, Wonder Woman is depressed and is alone in the coldness of space. So, afterward, Maxwell Ward, continuing his evil phase, talks with Shasha, who has changed in the dungeons, basically, because it looked like the dungeons. And, yeah, Maxwell Ward's trying to make her talk, but he can't, for some reason. And, yeah, uh, then, um, Sasha doesn't answer, leaving Max to leave confused and pissed off. After he does, um, Sasha and Jessica look at each other, hinting at something. 
afterwards, we go back to the back to the watchtower. Wonder Woman has joined Superman and Batman, and Wonder Woman sees suspicious of Batman, asking Bruce if he hasn't told them how the satellite would have avoided detection. But Bruce asserts them that whoever took control of the satellite is the one hiding it. Superman says he'll look for it, while Batman promises to use the JLA's computers to find this new checkmate. Wonder Woman, meanwhile, promises to go to Moscow and investigate reports of an OMAC being having killed overthrow, and Superman and her teleport away. Um, Max watches watches a replay of the conversation in the Watchtower. He clearly wants to stop Batman before he even succeeds. So, yeah. Um, then he turns to and pursues the people to turn into Omax. He then says this. It's too early. I didn't want to do this yet. And he has somebody contact, he contacts somebody, and then he starts talking about, talking to this person saying that there's a threat, and then we get this scene. He talks about how warning this unknown person that he must act against those who mean to harm him and the people he loves. On the last page, we see who this listener is. It's Clark Kent. Dun, dun, dun. And Clark's reply is, strangely enough, Don't worry, Father. I'll keep us safe. Yeah, Maxwell Ward has Superman under his control. I can only assume it happened in the Superman comics when it was showing Superman fighting the Omax. Maybe it did something. I don't know. Since I'm reading from the Omnibus and it doesn't show that as far as I know. But yeah, Superman's now under the control of Maxwell Lord. Way to go. By the way, Batman, clearly your satellite is doing such a good job for the greater good of society. That's clearly not maybe for ceases and everything. So yeah, Batman screwed up big time, and Booster Gold even tells him that he has to admit it, and we all know this is Batman. It will take forever, and probably when, like, a bunch of people are dead for him to finally admit that, yeah, I kind of fucked all this up. Yeah. So, and I do like the artwork in this. Um, and, and I did like how, how this was building up to something. I can't wait to see the rest of this. Right now, I'm currently going through the Omnibus, and I and right now we took a break from that and go into another section in this, so I'll get back to that when I can. But, um, we're gonna see, um, Sacrifice, I believe it was called. But anyways, yeah, this is turning into interesting concepts, interesting ideas, Maxwell Lord, and, okay, yeah, like I said, I would have loved it more if he just lost faith in superheroes instead of being retconned as a, I was always the bad guy. I would have liked that, it would have made it more sympathetic, but no, they didn't want to do that because that would have been too interesting, because he would have brought up points and made sense and made arguments that why the metahumans need to be stopped before everything goes to hell. And considering how many people are said to have died in Infinite Crisis, according to Black Adam, at least, yeah, you can see where he's—you could have seen where he was coming from if they went that route, in my opinion. So those were our thoughts on the first three issues of the OMAC project during the Infinite Crisis Omnibus. Um, this was Neo Reality. And if you like, comment, subscribe, and donate. Stay tuned for more.
We now continue our journey through the Infinite Crisis Omnibus by going into an interlude of sorts between OMAC Project issue number 3 to issue number 4, Sacrifice. You see, it's revealed at the end of OMAC Project number 3 that Maxwell Lord, head of Checkmate, has secretly controlled, has not only controlled uh, the spy satellite Brother Eye, but is also now in mental control of Superman. Basically, it's revealed that um, Superman has been being slowly but surely influenced by Maxwell Lord to the point that, uh, yeah, it's kind of built a foothold in his mind. But um, also, this comic opens up with Lois Lane waking up in bed. Comics! So, yeah, we also get her point of view. I like that. We get her point of view of everything going on, of how it was like to marry Superman. But um, we also notice how Superman is kind of acting a little odd. Gee, I wonder why. Um, it's revealed that he's experiencing these visions. He's seeing people he loves fail and kill, kill those, who those he loves, like Lois, like Jimmy Olsen, like everyone he cares about, essentially, in his lineup. But, um, and he eventually snaps and goes into a state of attempted murder. Because, basically, it's a repeated cycle. Superman is experiencing these endless cycles of death and despair and can't do anything to save them. Like, he sees Brainiac talking to Lois. Which, of course, should raise the question, if Brainiac's just talking to Lois and they're smiling, wouldn't it be like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Like... That really doesn't make any sense. But of course, Superman is still under this warped viewpoint of everything, and yeah, that that doesn't go well. Uh, Lois is trying to figure out what the hell is with Superman, with her husband, and yet she can't seem to figure it out. Then Martian Manhunter shows up and to Lois's house while she's basically half naked. Pleasant, pleasant Martian Manhunter. Hey, uh, maybe this is where, uh, your, uh, you know, cut your, Mar uh, Miss Martian got her, uh, manipulative skills. Maybe that's how. Being all nice and whatnot, then BAM! She strikes when you least expect it. And I will still not get over what happened in Young Justice Invasion. So moving on! <laughs> Anyways, it's revealed that... Lois has been somewhat seen by the Justice League as also protecting him, protecting her from Superman in case, you know, anything goes wrong. But Lois is understandably pissed off that, why do you think that? And then, it's revealed when Superman has blood on his hands, he doesn't know what is going on. And as it turns out, Superman's friends were never in danger and that he wasn't fighting an arch nemesis from his lineup like Darkseid or... Brainiac. No, rather, he almost killed Batman. Congrats. And Wonder Woman's the only thing that stopped him from ending the life of the of the Dark Knight. Also known as in this phase, the Brooding One. More so, brooding paranoia. So Superman keeps trying to say, uh, "I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what happened. I just remember all this stuff, and that doesn't help." And, yeah, and when he is in custody by the JLA, by the Justice League, Superman allows the telepathic, telepathic 
to go into his mind to see who's been controlling him along with the other characters, and they find Maxwell Lord revealing to be controlling him, revealing that he's been infiltrating Superman's psyche, and all I'm wondering is, why? Like, Identity Crisis gave the vibe that he was losing faith in superheroes, especially after what happened in Coastal City before Green Lantern went crazy. And I'm just wondering, when did he do this? How did no one detect this issue yet? Like, there had to have been some incident in between then to when Maxwell Lord turned evil. Yeah, I don't know. So, after it was found out that Batman was getting so close to finding out the truth about his operations before he could do what he needs to take over the world, Maxwell Lord says, Okay, we gotta take Batman out. And upon learning the truth, also beforehand, uh, they mentioned Superboy, you know, who is revealed in the in the Infinite Crisis buildup that he's a clone of both Superman and Lex Luthor, basically fulfilling every fanfiction's desire to see what it'd be like if Luthor and Superman had a baby, had a kid. Yeah, I I just wanted to do that. Um, here's the thing that bug. Here's the thing that confused me. Why is this not in the omnibus? Like, Superboy does have a major role in Infinite Crisis, the event. So why is this issue of Teen Titans not on? Yeah, I was wondering that. They even mentioned that it happened, so I was like, well, why wasn't this in the omnibus? Like, he does have a role, and Luthor also. So why is this not happening? So... Afterwards, uh, Superman rushes off to Checkmate Headquarters to confront the evil Maxwell Lord, who I'm still saying has a better name than Victor Von Doom, and is more subtle. And then he's forced under the control of, of Maxwell Lord once again. Wonder Woman is, is, because of her powers of gods assisting her, she is unable to be controlled by Maxwell Lord or any mental controls. Unless it's the uh, anti-life equation, then that's a completely different matter. And, yeah. He then makes Superman goes ahead and thinks that, um... He goes ahead and makes her, Superman think that Wonder Woman is doomsday and he just brutally murdered his wife. Leading to an all-out war between Superman and Wonder Woman in the fourth part of the Sacrifice storyline in Wonder Woman issue 219... And as this fight continues throughout most of it, and they're recording it lot, and they are recording it, so basically this is going to be an awesome YouTube video if, if it's uploaded. So we all know how that's going to go. Superman and Wonder Woman have this all-out battle, and Maxwell Lord continues to keep saying how this is the only way to go about it. we got to get them to kill each other. That's the only way we're going to beat these powerful gods and goddesses. Okay. Okay, here's the thing. I could buy more into Maxwell Lord's ideology of how they need to slay all the godlike powerful people if they built it up for him to be that. If Coastal City was the catalyst for him to start losing faith, and maybe as he was slowly psychically controlling Superman over the years, it could like do this angle where he's where he doesn't really want to do it, he's doubting himself more. And when the, he re and if and somehow he learns the events of Identity Crisis and learns what happened to Re Sue Diffney because he does show up in a cameo role in Identity Crisis, they could have done that and have him eventually say, you know what, we gotta do, you know what, I have to do something. I'm going to save this world from itself. 
Like, that would have made more sense instead of just, hey, he was always evil. He was just weakening the JLI for reasons. So, as Wonder Woman continues this fight, she realizes that the only way to stop Superman is to either have Maxwell Lord release him from his control or kill Superman. And we all know, Superman's never gonna die. They already did that once. And in the world of comics, yeah, unless you count New 52 Superman, who I will refuse to acknowledge for a variety of reasons, um, yeah. She then goes ahead and uses a distracting moment to order to get back to Checkmate headquarters and demands that she re that he releases Superman. Yeah, he keeps saying he's not going to, but under the lasso of truth, he has no choice but to compel to the lasso. And he agrees, but tells Wonder Woman that this is only temporarily. Once he's released, he will exert his control over Superman once again. And before this, um, she throws a tiara at Superman's throat, Wonder Woman does, and he's bleeding, and I'm like, um, I, I'm not an expert on anything, but how deep does the, has the cut have to be to the throat in order to, you know, kill somebody, because I'm pretty certain Zatanna should have been dead 500 times over every time when someone shot her in the throat, in order to dispel her ability to speak backwards to activate magic abilities. I think I did mention that part where she, where they suggest, hey, why don't we get Zatanna to fix this, and they just say, and the members of the conspiracy of what happened to Identity Crisis say, no! So, yeah. Um, yeah, when Wonder Woman demands to know how to release release this control over Superman, um, Maxwell Ward is forcibly under the control of the, of the Lasso of Truth, is only answering this, you have to kill me. And then comes this moment, the most disturbingly controversial moment, Wonder Woman breaks Maxwell Lord's neck. Oh boy, um, here's the thing. I don't have a problem with this angle. It's just that, well, it serves as a prelude for other stuff, like Amazon's attacks and the downfall of Wonder Woman as a public figure. But I could understand why she did that. Why? Because they already said they could try all these other... They could try, like, the mental powers of John Stewart or, uh... Or... No, not John Stewart. John's John. John John's. Uh, Zatanna and all these other characters. But, like, everyone keeps saying, like, if we do this, this is gonna really not work. This is gonna actually get really, 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 really bad. And... <laughs> Yeah, he, he she has virtually no choice. If she doesn't do anything, Superman's gonna kill her or and kill everybody else. If she doesn't do this, she forcibly has no choice. Though of course I'm pretty sure Batman would go into his sanctimonious role and say, There's always a choice. Uh Batman, there's gonna be a point in time where you're gonna be forced not to have a ch have a choice. Either let people die or take somebody's life. So, Batman, since you want to protect the people, what are you going to do? Grab a gun and kill them? I'm like, you're going to be forced into a position where you have no options. So, yeah. 
Like, if there was no other way to do it, like, you can't lock him up because Maxwell Lord has control over, you know, Superman, the freaking Man of Steel. I don't see any other option other than you have to destroy the person who's controlling him. So, yeah, and well, here's the other thing. Wonder Woman is one of the heroes that is willing to kill. She doesn't always do it or take pleasure in it. But she does come from a warrior Amazonian race of, of female warriors. So, yeah. Um, but, like, here's the thing. Um, Superman would have killed anyone if someone killed Lois. Like, we see that clearly in the Injustice comics. So, say they did that in the actual mainline universe. You know this is going to end badly if someone takes Lois's life or anyone else he cares about's life. So, yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's um understandable why Wonder Woman did that. She had no choice. Pushed to this point, like, if I don't do this, people are going to die. And Superman's going to be forever a slave. But if I do do this... That's going to create really, really bad problems. Except she doesn't know about the OMAX recording everything. And, yeah, while she just stare coldly at the corpse, she could have had some facial expression that, like, My God, what have I done? Or Hera, what have I done? Or Zeus, or whatever. But, um... Yeah, I can understand why she did that. Eventually, someone might be forced to do a difficult decision and be pushed to the wall, and like they either do this or face this consequence. Like, yeah, she's trying to be the. She is known to be the diplomatic one, but she isn't hesitant to take a life if it's necessary. So it's a give or take on that. But this would have a various, 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 various fallouts and also kinds of um, bastardized uh, uh, certain aspects of the one woman character for future stories after the Infinite Crisis event. That's going to be a problematic. I'll get to one of those elements that happen after the sacrifice after this video and when I get to reading the rest of the OMAC project because this takes place because the OMAC projects continue where sacrifice left off. So yeah, we're gonna be in for a crazy ride. So those were our thoughts on DC Comics Infinite Crisis Omnibus Sacrifice 1 through 4. This was Neo Reality Attorney. If you like, comment, subscribe, and donate to YouTube for more.